Deep in God's Word is a Bible study for women. Each month, your host, Cindy Colley, will discuss the study highlights and answer some of your questions. You can find more information about the Digging Deep Bible Study at thecolleyhouse.org. Now let's grab our shovels and dig into the meat of God's Word. Good evening and welcome to the October 2017 edition of the Digging Deep Podcast. We're going to be talking about our great escape with our personal obedience to the gospel tonight. I'm excited about this study. I'm excited that we have another couple of weeks before we we begin our next month. So it's kind of neat to have the podcast early because you can take things from the podcast and then incorporate them into the rest of your study. So that's a neat thing. Our next podcast, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, will be November 20th. November 20th will be our next podcast, and that will be the month of November. So we're going to get that in well before Thanksgiving. So we hope you can all join us on November 20th. Very glad to have Leah right with us tonight. Glad to be here. Leah has not been a co-host before, and I don't think, is this your first year to do the study? It is, first time. So how was it? Are you enjoying it so far? Yes, I'm enjoying it a lot. You got your plate full because you have uh, three children that you homeschool. Right. Husband to take care of. So I know that any Bible study much less, uh, you know, an extensive one like this is a sacrifice of your time. But I think that you and I will both say and encourage all the women that if we don't have time for Bible study, we're probably too busy. Right, absolutely. So, and I know that for me, it helps in all the relationships. It helps me be a better mother. It helps me be a better uh, wife. It helps me be a better daughter. It helps me be more patient in all of those relationships if I can make that time. I know Emily right. was saying the other night that um, if she just gets up, she gets up very early to do her <laughs> Bible study, and she was just saying that if she gets it done, then she feels more on her game all day long. When do you do yours? Do you do it at different times? <laughs> different times. Usually, usually late at night. Really? Sometimes in the afternoon after we finish school, but... Okay. Tell us how old, what are your kids' names and how old are they? Um, my kids are 7, 9, and 11. Have Jonathan is 7, and then I have Abigail who's 9, and my oldest, Natalie, is 11. And she will not say this, but her children are exemplary in every way. I mean, they <laughs> well, are you. some of the best behaved children that I've ever seen in my life, and I know that that's a credit to both you and their daddy, John, but we are... So blessed that you're a part of the West Huntsville family. I guess I've known you for 15 years now, yeah. about. And she's helped me in lots of ways. She's a, what do you do on the side, tell them? I take um, pictures, and I also sell hand and nail, nail products. So. She sells these <laughs> wonderful little nails, and there's a spider web on her nail. <laughs> she, um, what are those called again? Jamberry. Yeah, Jamberry, and they're so fun. <laughs> but anyway, she um, takes wonderful pictures, and uh, ha- I think you probably have about all you can do just yes, doing that. Yes, I do. <laughs> and our elders have asked her to take our digital pictorial directory 
and we have upwards of 400 people who are in attendance now so that's a big job yeah, in itself it's take to a while, get all those pictures done we're glad that you're here thank you thank you for agreeing to come and do this with me and uh, she was just mentioning before we started she said but I looked and there was 400 and something people who <laughs> were watching last time and we're so glad that there's that many people yes. but then I looked at a statistic <clears throat> and I said no there were 400 and something on live stream and live stream and 900 and something <laughs> on Facebook live not sure if we've got Facebook live going yet but we do okay, okay. well great Great. So we're going to go ahead and get started with a prayer, and then we'll dig right into the study. Okay, sounds good. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this evening, for us to come together and for us to dig into your word and to learn more about what you have to say to us. Thank you for all of the women that are taking part in this study. May each of them grow, and uh, may they be able to share your word with others thank you for our families and our friends and those in our those congregations that we're a part of and we just ask that you be with each one of us as we study tonight and um, help us to to learn what we need to learn and to see what we need to see so that we can do our best to be um, the people that you would have us to be in jesus name amen amen Okay, we're going to dig right in and talk about obedience tonight, beginning with Noah. But I did want to say that this is um, not unique, not unique, but um, unusual in that this chapter is something that we do to uh, facilitate our escape, our salvation. Last time we talked about the blood. We couldn't offer the blood. We, couldn't, we had no clean blood. To offer because of sin and so that great grace that was given through the blood was was totally God's sacrifice to us God through deity Jesus and the Father and the Son offering that blood for us um, our escape through the word through our study of the word well we have to study but there's no way that we could instruct ourselves we have to have that divine inspiration that comes from god our escape through providence that's not us we are not capable of through nature um, making pathways that will allow us to escape trials and temptations but this chapter is up to us this obedience chapter is up to us because James is the book of doing. Uh, I would say it's a very practical book of doing, and it is where we are told that we are to be doers of the word. Obedience is what makes us doers of the word. And we're going to talk tonight about some examples of some people, beginning with Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There were people who were definitely saved or escaped by the grace of God. But there was also that grace was given conditionally, and the condition was that the instructions of God that were given through grace were followed. Transgression of the law is sin, 1 John 3 and 4, as opposed to obedience to the law 
being the way that we accept his grace and are are saved by obedience to grace. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 6, and the assignment was to read all the way from 6.1 to 9.19 and to find a verse in chapter 6 that describes the complete nature of Noah's obedience. Leah, what would you get for that? Um, I have, let's see, I've got verse verse 22 where it says Noah did according to all that God had commanded him that it was it was all it was everything it was a complete upheaval of mm -hmm. his life mm -hmm. and we are going to notice that that is said about two or three of our characters tonight mm -hmm. but it was uh, upheaval is really a good word because as we talked about in our little group last night um you know sometimes we just say Noah built an ark but there were trees to cut down. Right. You know, this was gopher wood, and there wasn't a gopher wood store, so there were trees to cut down, and there was pitch to make, and there was uh, primitive kinds ways to saw those boards, no power saws. And so we also talked about how that it took him 120 years to build the ark, and I was I was looking at that today, and really... It didn't take him 120 years to build the ark. It was 120 years from the judgment that God pronounced on the earth until the flood occurred. But it couldn't have taken him that long to build it because when God instructed him to build it, he um, was, was guaranteeing Noah that his sons, verse 18 of chapter 6, his sons and his wives, 6 verse 5, 6 verse 8, I think it was. This grace that you found is, is going to call you, Noah, to live in a way that's totally different from the ungodly world you're living in. It's going to call you to deny worldly lust and to live soberly in a world filled with violence where people are only thinking evil continually, to live soberly, righteously, and godly. This is just sort of a parallel here mm -hmm. to Noah. And what it's telling us is that grace instructs, and here is the order. You have grace, you have instruction, you have obedience, you have salvation. It's in that order always. Grace appears, grace instructs, we obey grace, and then we are saved by grace. Were we saved by works when we obey grace? No. It's still grace, but it calls us to obedience. So if you want to make a flow chart, remember, it's <laughs> grace appears, grace instructs, man obeys, grace saves. And that is consistently what we're going to see as we see people who are obedient people. Do we have any comments yet? Do we have comments at all? <laughs> Where would it be showing up? <laughs> Do we have the page pulled up at all? It looks like we don't have it. Let's see. Let's try this. So I should have checked that when we first started. Let's see. Okay. I'm going to, um, we're going to hang on on those comments and we're going to get our um, assistant over here. <laughs> 
our worthy assistant to um, check and see what's wrong with our with our comments there. And we will get to those comments in just a minute, and we'll move on to um, number three. In Joshua chapter five, Joshua was shown in a couple of ways the importance of complete obedience and humility before God. And so as you read Joshua chapter five, you were supposed to find and list these ways. And I, um, I did get two of them. And what'd you get for the first one, Leah? Um, I got um, about him having to circumcise the children of those that came out of Egypt. They weren't circumcised, and so um, he had to take care of that. Okay, we have thousands of people who are wandering around in the wilderness and have not been circumcised. They're not keeping the Passover. They're not being circumcised, and they're wandering around in the wilderness and having children, and then they die. The parents die. And so we've got all these children born in the wilderness who were not circumcised, and so now they're grown-ups. And uh, Moses, Joshua, is called on here to circumcise that multitude of men. Um, we think about the ease of that trip. I would say not a fun job. <laughs> not a fun job at all. I'd say that would be a... I cannot imagine... <laughs> I mean, I don't think doctors today can hardly imagine circumcising full-grown males. Right. One full-grown male. Right. But here we have a nation of people that need to be circumcised. But it does say, uh, read verse 9 of Joshua 5, if you're there, yeah. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Okay, so the failure... To obey in circumcision here was a reproach. Failure to obey is a reproach. And obedience rolls away that reproach or that uncleanness. It's really hard for me to um, talk about this without going to Colossians 2. So we're going to go there really quickly. Colossians 2 verses 11 and 12. And then we'll get to your comments. It says, You were complete in him. Uh, we're talking about Christ, obviously, from verse 8. If you look up at a verse 8, for in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10, Colossians 2, you're complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Listen to this. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of sins. You are cutting off this fleshly sin from you by the circumcision of Christ. Well, what is that? We are circumcised today. What is that circumcision? Verse 12, Leah, read that. Are you there? Oh, oh I will. Go ahead. I don't have it. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Was circumcision, is circumcision at the hospital today of your child an operation? It's an operation and it's yeah. a surgery. Right. So here, baptism is the surgery of God. He's taking off what? In verse 11, he's taking off sin. So circumcision, is, is baptism like circumcision in every way? Obviously not. But it is like it in the way that Paul is telling us here in verses 11 and 12 that it is the operation of God which takes off our sin. And then um, 
you being dead in your sins, verse 13, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all of your trespasses. So our baptism is the operation of God, the surgery of God that removes sin. And I think that we it's really difficult to talk about the reproach being rolled away in Joshua 5 verse 9 without mentioning the way that we r roll the reproach away today is found in Colossians chapter 2. So what are the comments that we have? Do we have um, comments? Let's see. Besides we can't hear or we can't, or is there anything? Alyssa says in Genesis 34, the mass circumcision at Shechem completely debilitated the nation. That was a way for the enemy to be defeated, knowing this could have scared Joshua, knowing that they were close to the enemy. Yeah. yeah, he knew that had happened back in Genesis 24 he, to de and debilitated a whole uh, bunch of people that they were trying to overcome. He knew that. Right. Very good. And that, that's, that's it for now. It, yeah. So the other um, Joshua 5 sign of submission to me was the encounter with the captain of the host of the Lord and how that Joshua worshipped and loosed his shoes because that was holy ground. I've um, kind of been studying a little bit the captain of the host of the Lord in the Old Testament. I believe that was Jesus. I believe that Jesus played a pretty big part in the Old Testament by being the captain of the host of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord at times. And here, uh, this was total submission to that captain in Joshua chapter 5. Then we're told to read Joshua 6 about Jericho. And what happened at Jericho? Just in a nutshell, what they have to do to make those walls fall down? They had to march around so many times and then eventually blow their trumpets mm -hmm. and in the okay. walls fell. So one time a day for six days and on the seventh day then seven times and blow the trumpets and the walls fell. That's not the way that um, a modern day military leader would, <laughs> would think to bring down a city the size of Jericho. Those were massive walls, by the way, because houses were built in between the two layers of the wall. Rahab's house was on that wall, so it was in between the two layers of that wall is what we think. And then it says, um, the army of Israel escaped with no loss of life. And what did they get for the Lord's treasury? What verse did you find that in? Um, oh, I didn't notate the verse. I think it's 19. Silver and gold, bronze and iron. Okay. From, yes, verse 19. Okay. So I got, um, mine said brass and iron, but silver, all of the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron. I wanted us to note here, um, sometimes we escape lots richer for the challenge, and that's not just materially richer. We always escape spiritually mm -hmm. richer when we go through challenges and overcome them. I, I wanted us to notice that with God's, when we do things God's way, there is no eternal loss. Is there sometimes a physical loss? Um, there is. There is. And sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's health. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's um, even, you know, in times of persecution in foreign fields, even today, sometimes it's death. Sometimes there's a physical loss, but there is never an eternal loss when we do things God's way. And there's always the proclivity, the chance of an eternal loss if we disobey God, and especially if we uh, linger in disobedience. Right. So here, 
They obeyed God. They were the richer. And then the next chapter we're supposed to read is verse is chapter 8. But what happened in chapter 7? After Jericho, then they went to Ai. And remember, they, they did not do very well mm-hmm. at Ai. And why was that? Because the, there was that man named Achan. Oh, yeah. And he took and buried treasures Here's the here's the hitch. See in in chapter uh, six, God said, "Take these treasures for yourself." And in chapter seven, He said, "Leave those treasures." Well, you know it's pretty easy to obey. Take these treasures for yourself. Right. <laughs> but Achan had a problem when it was leave those treasures, and sometimes that's when we have the problem too. And so they were soundly defeated by little old Ai after they had conquered great big Jericho. And then, you know, Achan's punishment occurred. And then Joshua 8 gives the word of the Lord in regard to um, the conquering of, of Ai. And it says, find and list the verses that emphasize Joshua's dedication to the word of the Lord. And then the lesson here for us that I want us to just be sure that we get is in obedience. Obedience is necessary to apply God's grace. But what was the flow chart? Grace teaches. So how are we going to know what grace teaches? It's right here, isn't it? So study has to happen in between grace and obedience. This has to happen because this is the instruction of grace. That's why we have digging deep. It's because we're trying to get that second part of the flow chart. God has given us the grace, but grace instructs us how to live soberly, righteously, godly, forsaking the worldly lust. This is all here. It's very practical. And so we have to love this in order to to get the instruction part of grace. And I'm just amazed and so thankful for hundreds of women who love this because you're getting that second part of the flow chart, the instruction of grace. So what are the verses, Leah, that you got in Joshua chapter 8 that emphasize Joshua's dedication to the instruction? Um, Well, the first one I have was verse 8. Yeah, he was told to set the city on fire and according he, to the word of the Lord. And he did according to the, mine says, the commandment of the Lord. Okay, what else? And then I've got verse 26. Which I have, 26 and 27. And I think there is that he destroyed and spared according to the word of the Lord. He had right. to get it right. And he destroyed and spared, according to the word of the Lord. Then did you get any more? And then in verse 34 and 35, um, he was he read all the words. Okay. And I got verses 30 and 31 yes. because he built that altar. And he had to do it according to the specific commands of the law of Moses. And it had to be rocks that weren't hewn, weren't cut rocks. had to be whole rocks, according to uh, verses 30 and 31. So he did according to the law of Moses. And then he wrote in 32, he says he wrote there on the stones too. Mm-hmm. Somebody in our group it. said last night he had to really know the law in order to just write it. I don't know if he had a copy of it while he was writing it, but he 
put a great, great emphasis on the law and obedience to the law because he wrote it on those stones. How do you even think they wrote on those stones? <laughs> Did they carve it? I mean, that would have been difficult. Know, yeah. And you know, they didn't have a sharpie. Right. So you know, this this was a time thing, and Anna. It was an emphasis on the law. It had to be an emphasis right. on the law. And so then, verse 34, you said he read the law in the hearing of all of the people. I wanted us to also notice, if you could read for us, are you there? If you could in read Joshua. verse 35 of Joshua in 8. Joshua 8. I wanted us to notice that verse. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. I really love that verse because it goes ahead and says, there wasn't a word that wasn't read and there wasn't a person in Israel that didn't hear it. That is just pretty amazing there. It's easy for us to, it's easy for me to not talk about certain things that I think people don't want to hear. It's just really easy for me to shy away, especially if people say, oh, Cindy Colley, you know, you're just saying that because blah, blah, blah. Or you just feel that way because blah, blah, blah. Or there's some sort of personal, um, maybe vendetta against what what I'm teaching or what I'm saying. And, and not, this is not, I'm just not just talking about me, but anybody who's talking about the Word of God, it's really easy for us to just say what is, and I'm going to go ahead and say politically correct. It's, it's really easy right. just to not address. Just, you know, I'm not saying that sin is right. I'm just not talking about it. And that's really a temptation. Yes. That's a big temptation because you're going to get pushback right. when you cross the culture. I think it is just really, um, again, a complimentary verse with regard to Joshua that there was not a word of the Lord that he didn't read, and he made sure that there was not a person in the camp who didn't hear it. I just love that about him. And that had to take a while, too. That's, yes. a, that's a lot to read. Yes, we're talking about a major love for and adherence mm-hmm. to law, to commandment. That that had to be a part of their success in, in taking the promised land. I just want to go ahead and say that a great love for and adherence to the instruction of grace is what is going to get us to our promised land. We have to have that to get to our promised land. Do we have comments about that before we move on? Um, Let's see. From Phyllis Hopper Ole, uh, in the writing of the law, it deepens it into the memory. When I write things as a visual learner, they stick with me. I just wonder if God had a twofold purpose there. Yeah, and really and truly, you know, I mean, didn't you just read that the children Mm -hmm. heard this? Now, you know, I I don't know the about your kids, ones. but don't you have some... I mean, my kids were visual learners. And, you know, putting something in front of them, especially children who were going to be going into this promised land and remembering this law that he was writing, I, I, I just have to believe that that made a real impact yes. on those children. Watching him put those stones together... 
and then watching what he wrote on them. Right. This was a priority. The law was a priority. Okay, anything else before we move on? Um, let's see. D. Kepler says, When God gave Joshua the ability to read so everyone could hear, I am in awe that God made voices so loud that possibly a million people could hear it. Mm. <laughs> and also, I've, I've studied about this a little bit. Um, sometimes they were in natural arenas, mm -hmm. natural um, echo places. Right. You know, like, what am I even trying to say? Like, you know, valleys where hills were all around protecting that sound. Right. Sometimes that was the case, and I haven't really looked at this um, to see that, to see if it was one of those places. Okay, now, incidentally, it says, there's an example of gross disobedience that stems from Joshua 6. And what happened here in Joshua 6 was that um, in verse 20, go ahead and read 26. Um, then Joshua made them take an oath at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds the city Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation and with the loss of his youngest son, he shall set up its gates. Okay, so Joshua said here, don't anybody go try to rebuild Jericho. God meant for Jericho to be raised and to let, to stay that way. And he said, don't anybody go and rebuild it because the man who does rebuild it is going to lose his first son when he lays the foundation and his last son when he puts the final gate up, his youngest son. So in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, Hiel the Bethelite rebuilds Jerusalem. His oldest son is Abiram, and he died in the laying of the foundation. Now, if you went to lay your oldest son in the ground, do you, do you think that you would have... If you knew about the curse, you would think he would not have continued. But I guess he was ignorant. I guess, because if he knew about the curse, he would have said there's something to this. But he continued. And I know that Jericho was a rich city, even after this time. But he continued, and then he laid to rest his youngest son at the end when he set up the gates. Somebody in our study last night, and you all can uh, easily, I think this is on the Digging Deep page in one of the comments, actually. Um, there's an article by Alan Webster. I, I found it. I think on um, Bible.net maybe, but it is also on, um, where was that y'all were saying you found it? It's on, um, um, you're not talking about the Digging Deep Facebook page. It is on the Digging Deep Facebook page, but there's a link. But my, I, there's several places oh, okay. online that where you can find it. I googled Alan Webster Heil, H-I-E-L, popped right up. So you can find it that way. The name but, of it was God Means What He Says, I think, okay. is the name of it. Okay, all right. Well, it, it was very good. And four simple points that I'm just going to quickly make here. Um, the first being the danger of ignorance. You know, I guess mm -hmm. Heil didn't know. But just because we don't know God's will does not mean that we're not accountable to right. the keeping of it. Now, I know that your children have probably asked you, and mine asked me, Mom, what about the people who never know about Jesus? Well, they're accountable. Mm -hmm. They're accountable to the gospel. Think about the alternative. 
first of all, our Bible guarantees us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And I am a firm believer that if we search from that basic point and accept light, that we will find. It's not very hard in our world today to find this word mm -hmm. because of right. the mass communication that we have going on. But if people could be saved who didn't know about Jesus, we'd really need to stop telling people about Jesus. Right. And that's that's counterintuitive to the golden to the uh, great commission. Right. We must continue teaching because it emphasizes the importance of of teaching. Mm. Exactly. And so the danger of ignorance is, was uh, his first point. I think his second was the unfailing truth of the word. You know, there was a lot of time that passed between Joshua chapter 6 to 8 here and Second Kings, First Kings chapter 16 when it, that was the days of Ahab, actually after the days of Ahab, I guess, when... Um, or right during the days of Ahab when Hiel rebuilt uh, Jericho. So a lot of time passed. But the passage of time never diminishes the surety that God's word will happen. Right. And that's kind of in the New Testament. Remember those people were saying uh, over in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, well, so much time has gone by. Why do we think, do you really think Jesus is going to come? And... Remember the answer was, uh, well, that was actually Peter. The long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing. Just because you think a lot of time has passed by, remember that the God you serve is the one for whom a day is as a thousand years. Right. And so the passage of time does not diminish the surety that God's word is a happening thing. Right. And we have a comment about okay. that. Well, Hannah, and there's several. Hannah says, I, I thought it was interesting how the 500-year gap between the curse and the fulfillment, God always keeps his promises. And then Genevieve says, time does not nullify God's laws. So it doesn't nullify his laws or his promises. Exactly. And then Dee says, I think timing is something we often forget. We have book, chapter, and verse, and it's hard to realize how many years there can even there can even be between one chapter to another, let alone from one incident. Mm -hmm. Well, we have um, someone indicated 500 years here. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure that, you know, well, here's the reason he didn't know. We're going, coming to the next one. The strong influence of an unholy government. Right. He's living in the days of Ahab when they had completely walked away from the Lord and they were serving the gods of Baal. And so he wasn't paying attention to what Jehovah God had said. And so this strong influence of an unholy government made people lose their spiritual brains. And it does today. It, I, um, I am amazed at where we are after several um, terms of very unholy government. I'm not talking about any certain party right now, but I'm talking about we have um, taken God out of government. We have taken... I'm going to go ahead and venture to say, I mean, I truly believe this. We never were a truly Christian nation. We were a, 
a republic built on some good principles. Mm -hmm. But we decided that we weren't going to let God's word have an influence in government and in public arenas of any kind. And that unholy influence then has led us to a place where we have become accepting of sins that only a few decades ago we would have considered completely out of the realm of righteousness. Right. But now we are unrighteous if we decry those sins in the eyes of many. Mm -hmm. So it is. It was the strong influence of an unholy government. And then, finally, the power of unbelief. Once you grab onto an atheistic mindset, a mindset that doesn't include God in your decisions, it can lead you to do some things that you never thought you would do. Right. And that was the case with Heil. Uh, I'm not, either he did not know or he was completely bound by his unbelief and went very far into some um, areas of sorrow that he could never undo. So do we have any more comments about that rebuilding? Um, let's see. Just we have someone else saying God keeps his promises and uh, ignorance is not an excuse. And there's a reference to Acts 17.30 here. And then somebody is asking the last two points on the last question. So we're... Okay, just a minute. We'll go back to that. Okay. But let's look at Acts 17.30, which says... Um, In the times of this ignorance, God winked at or overlooked, but now he's commanding all men everywhere to repent. That's a, um, a timely reference there. We better, uh, because he's appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness, we better realize he's going to keep that promise. Right. And so we had better realize that he is serious about our obedience. And that's a, a great... Um, verse to bring in here now. Okay, and then you were saying, what, what else? The last two points. The um, last two points on the last question, which would have been, are we on Joshua 8? Whoever wrote that, tell us which what number you're you talking Yeah, which number you're talking about, and we will go back and review those for you. Just type in what number specifically we're asking about. And then we have number seven. Several great escapes from Israelite history are chronicled in Joshua 24. I'm going to quickly go through those. In verse 3, Abraham's escape from Ur and his multiplication through Isaac. He escaped from, uh, I read some things about Ur, and he needed to get out of Ur, and he needed to build a nation. Why did he need to build a nation? Well, he was... He had the promise. And it was Jesus. Mm -hmm. It was all about Jesus. In fact, Noah was all about Jesus. Right. That's what he was about. This world was corrupt, and there was about to not be a seed line for the Messiah of anybody who was adhering, adhering to God or believed in God. So Noah was about purifying a line through Shem so that Jesus could come. Um and Abraham's escape from Ur was about that. Verse 5, Moses and Aaron brought Israel out of Egypt with the plagues. This is about Jesus. It's bringing a nation out of Egypt to be a messianic uh, seed line for the Messiah. Chapter 6 and 7, the Red, uh, verses 6 and 7, the Red Sea deliverance. Verse 8, the destruction of the Amorites. Verses 9 and 10, the deliverance from Balak, the king of Moab. 
Verse 11, the destruction of the Canaanites. Verse 12, the driving out with hornets. Verse 13, they were given a land, a great land, that they did not work for. This wasn't something they earned. They were living in houses other people built and um, bringing in crops that were cultivated by other people. They were given this great land. And then there's this therefore verse. When you look back at all that that God has done for you, therefore, verse 14, go ahead and read that. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Okay, there's the therefore. Now, let's quickly move, and we'll take comments in just a minute, but let's quick, quickly move to uh, number eight. You were supposed to read 1 Kings 17, 2 Kings 4, and 2 Kings 5 and find the people who were in dire straits and what they had to do to find their passage to survival. And they had to listen to God's prophet in order to know what to do to find their passage of survival. Who was it, the um, main person in 1 Kings chapter 17, who was in a dire strait in life? It was the widow and her son. Okay, the widow of Zarephath. And why was she in such trouble? Um, she didn't have any food. She had one cruise of oil left. That's all that she had. She had enough to make one cake. And what did she have to do that was an extreme test in order to uh, have the deliverance that God planned for her? So Elijah asked her to make one for him first. Make me a little cake first. You know, we tell our kids not to be me-firsters, but God's <laughs> prophet gets to be a me-firster to test the faith of this woman. And so she had to feed Elijah her last cruise of ingredients, and we know what happened. Her uh, jar just kept filling up and filling up and filling up and filling up. And, you know, you said something last night. Later on, I think she lost her son, right? Right. And um, Elijah brought him back to life. But you said that she was, you know, she complained she was to upset. God's prophet. She was upset. When he really, would have died much earlier. <laughs> right. You made that point last night. And I never thought about that. He would have already been dead a long time ago if um, she hadn't been given those provisions by God because of her obedience. And then he also brought him from the dead. Okay. Who was the main person in Second Kings 4? Um, I've got the, the widow whose husband had died. Mm -hmm. and, and she, she was, was among the wives of the sons of prophets and her husband had died and she was in bad bad debt and she had what did she have one she had oil pot of oil here we have these two women and each had one pot of oil <laughs> and each lost a son i think right there too mm -hmm. so there's some similarities but this is i think this is elisha instead of elijah right and so um she was down to one pot of oil, and Elisha told her to borrow a bunch of vessels and send your two sons out and borrow all these vessels and then pour the oil in the vessel. And so when she poured the oil, what happened? It multiplied. She just kept pouring and pouring and pouring till all the vessels were full, and she had an oil store. <laughs> you know, he just said, go and sell this oil, and she all of a sudden had a home business. Right. Because she trusted and and was zealous and did what the prophet said now for the sake of time we're going to skip down now to um the sons of the prophets in second kings 4 the bottom of that chapter i also included them because uh, they were poisoned mm -hmm. that they um 
I really think it's interesting too here though that Elisha was taking care of the sons of the prophets. He was uh, very much, um, uh, you know, Glenn is getting to, my husband's getting to be an older preacher and he has a really, really soft spot in his heart for young preachers. <laughs> he has a very, he wants to nurture, care for. He doesn't like it when they are mistreated. And I, I, I see Elisha looking at the sons of the prophets like this and wanting to be sure that they were, uh, it, uh, there was a dearth in the land and they didn't have a lot to eat and he was making sure that they had something it doesn't say anything about meat but he was making pottage for them i love that elisha was making having his servants make pottage for them and they went out to gather up the herbs and somebody got a bad herb it was a noxious poisonous herb and so they tasted it and uh, the commentary that i was reading today said that god has given us taste so that we can filter before we hurt our bodies. And that might be true. I mean, that yeah. is true. That is partly true. Um, at least it was in this case. And so they said, this is horrible. We can't eat this because it's got something poison in it. And so um, Elisha said, bring some meal. Bring me some meal and let me put the meal in the pottage. And there probably was already meal in there. But this was miraculous meal. He put this meal in there and suddenly the pottage was good and nutritious and non-poisonous anymore so um but they had to obey they had to right. get the meal in there and then second kings five who's that about naaman that's about naaman and we've covered naaman in almost every year we talk about naaman because he's such a great example of somebody who didn't want to obey but he was not going to have the remedy the escape without the obedience um, and what was his, what did he have to do to have so his he, escape? He was supposed to go um, wash in the Jordan, and um, he didn't want to. <laughs> or, he didn't, or he didn't like it. Guess he he did not like else. it. Well, he did think that. He said, I thought you were going to tell me to do this and this and this. I thought it was going to be some <laughs> great thing that I was going to do. And I, you want me to go dip in this dirty? There are cleaner rivers in Far Part and Abana, and I could go mm-hmm. dip in those rivers. He had his own ideas. He's a little bit prideful, or a lot prideful. But yeah, he even says he went away in a rage. That's... Yeah. <laughs> when he was being offered an escape, he went away. Do you know people, though, that are being offered a spiritual escape out of sin? And they go away in a rage yeah, because true. they don't want to do what God said to do. And if the Bible says that, I don't believe it and I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. That's true. And they are like Naaman. But I wanted us to think about this first because my mother quoted this verse to me as a child when I would make an excuse for not obeying. And I would say, well, I thought in this case you'd probably want me to. And she would say, <laughs> behold, I thought. And that's what he said in verse 11. Read verse 11. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. I love that. He just said, I thought he would come out here and wave his hand (laughs) over this place and I would be instantly cured. I thought... And my mother would always say, when I would say, yeah, but I thought, you know, I would argue and give my excuse for why I did what I did. And she would say, (laughs) behold, I thought. Do we hear people today that 
Well, but I just don't think God would. Well, but I just don't think my God would think that. I just, my God, I just don't think. Well, if you think that you are going to say what your God would do, then your God's an idol. Mm -hmm. That's not God. Because we don't get to think about God. God is God. He is supreme. And if he says, go dip in the Jordan seven times, you don't say, but I thought. We don't get to say, but I thought. Right. Because we are the dust, and he is the creator. And we don't get to say, behold, I thought. We just, it is up to us to obey. Comments? Um, we don't have, well, we've got a reference to Second Peter 3, 8, and 9. Okay. Do we have, did that lady come back with? Yes, it was the four points that the you, four from, points the, from, from the, the article. Okay, number one is uh, the danger of ignorance. Number two is the unfailing truth of God's word. Number three is the strong influence of an unholy government. And number four is the power of unbelief. Those are the four um, things from that great article by Alan Webster. You can find Alan Webster on my Facebook friends list and thank him for uh, helping us with our digging deep <laughs> study. Okay, we're going to quickly look at number nine really quickly um, because I love Baruch. Baruch is how you're supposed to say that. Okay. But I want to say Baruch because that's how it was in the sermons all the time I was growing up. Baruch did this and that and the other. But I'm looking in my pronunciation guide. Okay. Baruch. Okay. So, um, well, it's close to Barack Obama. <laughs> but I've been saying Baruch, so. Okay. Well, it was Baruch when I was okay. a kid. But, but I looked and, and the emphasis is on the bar. Okay. So, Baruch. And I, I'm just going to quickly, from this chapter, chapter Jeremiah 36, he was supposed to go and deliver Jeremiah's prophecy to a king who was not going to accept it. First, he wrote it all down. Then, he read it aloud on the feast day, as Jeremiah told him to. He was going to, to a wicked king, and he's reading what is not gonna want is not want to be heard. I'm using W O N T. It was not uh, gonna be popular. But he read it aloud, as Jeremiah said, on the feast day. He also read it from a higher court and a new gate. What do you think about that? That means he went to a uh, yeah, he, prominent right place. He went to where people were gonna hear. You know, I'd be tempted to to go behind a dumpster and read it. Uh, that would be what Jeremiah said to read it on a feast day. I want to go over here yeah. and read. He went to the higher court from a new gate and read the unpopular message. And then Micaiah took that word to the princes and said, um, Barak is down here reading these words that Jeremiah wants us to hear, so let's listen to, to that. He took it to the princes. And then the princes sent Jehudi to fetch Barak and to bring him in. Oh, no. I'm sure that Barak thought, oh, dear. Oh. Yeah. So he came in, and they asked him to read it again. So he read it again to the princes of the land. And then they're taking it to the king to have the king listen to it. And the king's going to be really, really mad. 
And in fact, the king said, I'm throwing it in the fire. Took a penknife and threw it in the fire, cut it up and threw it in the fire and burned it up. And so they had Barak hidden during mm -hmm. that time that the king heard it. And it says God hid him when the king said, go take him. Go find this man for me. I'm angry at him. And God hid him. And then he, according to the command of Jeremiah, went and rewrote it again. It had been burned up. Right. So he had to rewrite the whole thing again with the unpopular addition that the king was going to die. So we have this man here who was so tied intrinsically to truth that he never questioned. He just proclaimed. Mm -hmm. And then whatever the result was, was the result. But God hid him. I think the key verse, Leah, is probably um, chapter 36, verse 8. Um, are you in Jeremiah? Read verse 8. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. Okay. All. All. A-L-L. -L. Same word we read about mm -hmm. Noah. He did according to all that the prophet told him to do. Again, I want to emphasize here that we're fighting for Jesus. We're fighting. God is fighting through Jeremiah and Baruch for Jesus Christ because we're we're in a wicked time when the seed line is of Jesus Christ is being corrupted. And then I wanted us to notice too that apparently uh, the king here, Jehoiakim, wasn't it? Apparently he had a um, this attitude out of sight, out of mind. Right. If I don't have to look at this, if I don't have to hear this, if I don't have to look at it, it doesn't exist. Do you think people do that with the Bible today? Oh, sure. I don't want to think about that. I don't I don't really want to study it. It's uncomfortable. So I was listening to a speech from Polishing the Pulpit by Kevin Moore today. And in 2012, I believe it was 2012, a group of, they call themselves translators, came up with a new translation of the Bible. And they, in their historic, I don't know if it was revisionism or if part of this was really true, but they declared that, that King James, the one who did this version that I'm using tonight, King James Version, was um, a homosexual or bisexual. And so they thus, uh, in recognition of his uh, alleged bisexuality did their own version it's called the Queen James Version because hmm. that was the name that they used to make fun of him in that day for bisexuality they said and every passage in the Bible that has to do with homosexuality they just conveniently dropped whole, whole phrases hmm. whole words from the text and just didn't translate them at all or translated them in a way that that clearly showed the agenda to not have the Bible be condemning of homosexuality. That is, that's what the king did. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm throwing it in the fire and then it won't matter anymore. Right. That's what those folks did. Um, and I'll be happy to put you in contact with that lesson if 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 it would do 
uh, if it would help anyone. But we have that in our society today. Let's just ignore this, and then we won't worry about it. But, you know, like we read a while ago, and uh, was it in Acts 17? I think it was. Um, the passage where it said, but we ha better have this certain fearful looking for of the day of judgment yes. because it's happening. Okay, so um, we are out of time. But let's just quickly highlight the... Um, the rest of the questions, I just wanted to say a couple of things, and then we will see if there are more comments, and then we'll close. The verse in Jeremiah that has the Lord's temporary reward for obedience was verse 26 of Jeremiah 36. Is that what you got? Yes. That he hid them. Um, you know, God can open gates. He can open prison bars. He can uh, let people down in baskets from windows. He can put ravens by the brook. He can make the sun stand still. And most of all, he can provide the greatest deliverance by that cross on that hill of Calvary. God delivers. And then in questions 8 and 9 above, some characteristics needed to facilitate obedience. Who's the one that had to really trust to give her last ingredients? The widow with no food. Yeah. And then who who really needed a little dose of humility? Naaman. Naaman did because he thought his, behold, I thought. Um, who had to be really, really brave to go read that law? Baruch. Yeah, he had to be brave because what we, he was doing was very much uh, politically incorrect. And then it says, um, what attitude adjustments have you ever needed to prompt your obedience? I really have to get over selfishness. I really have to uh, work hard to make sure that the cause is more important than what I want. Uh, I don't know, did you have a specific thing you put there? That is um, the, the zeal and the bravery is what I focused in on, just that I need more of that to be more evangelistic. Mm -hmm. Me too. Um, and then it says, how do children sometimes need to prepare their hearts uh, to be obedient to parents? I've been dealing with um, a little bit of that this week because I've had Ezra with me for a couple of days. <laughs> Ezra's mama was so strong-willed. I mean, she really was. You don't even know when you know her today. But I think Ezra takes the cake. I really think he takes the cake. And I, 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 this week, what we worked on was, well, one time he even said to me, he said, I I complimented him because he was being, he's much better without his mom. But if there are two adults, he's almost like, he, yeah, he plays them. Like yeah. <laughs> but, but this one time he was, I said, you are being so good. I, you are obeying. You're doing everything that I say. And he said, well, but there are some times when I not obey they when mom with my mom he tried to say it and he tried to say it two or three times and he said wait just a minute i'm gonna think about this <laughs> thought for just a minute and then he said sometimes when i'm with my mom i not obey as good as when i'm with you he said that whole thing <laughs> and so then i i said oh really what do you do that's not obedient i can't imagine you not doing not obeying and he said sometimes i hit her and I said, you hit your mom. And he said, when she spanked me, sometimes I hit her. And that is not obeying. And I said, that is right. That is, that is not obeying. And so we practiced this week um, when I would first, and he does, he will, he'll have a tendency to um, flare up when he realizes he's about to get a spanking. Mm. He'll kind of have that angry look on his face. And at that moment, I would say, you have a choice. You can get a spanking 
or not? Which do you choose? And he's learning. Mm -hmm. He's learning that he really does have a choice. And if he carries it any further, he's going to get a spanking. Or he can stop and say, yes, ma'am, and obey and not get the spanking. So that's a part of heart preparation that's going on right now with him because he will not win if he is angry and lashes out or hits. He He will not win that. But he's starting to learn that if he could make a decision early on to respect and obey that the consequences will will not be as severe right so did you have any ideas about that i know you're in the throes uh, of it right well now. just to add on to that that's something that i say to my boy <laughs> quite often is is this what you're going to choose because mm-hmm. if you do this you're choosing mm. the spanking mm. And I think that that's the overall message we're getting here Mm -hmm. from this lesson. We can choose obedience as God's children. We can choose obedience, and His promise will happen. And so our kids need to know that our promise, if it's a spanking, it will happen. Right. We don't ever back down unless there's some huge uh, revelation, something that we didn't know that alters the case. Right. But if we say you're going to get a spanking if you do that, then that's got to happen. It's got to happen. And consistently. Right. Okay, so then um, we need to be done. But Matthew 4, uh, and you said this one was pretty easy for you because there are three specific cases in Matthew 4. Just list those verses. Where verse, verse 4, verse 7, and verse 10. They all say it is written. Mm-hmm. So that's how he depended on God's word. He knew it and he quoted it. Uh, That's exactly right. And I I thought it was pretty interesting, too, that in verse 4, it also, when he says it is written, that particular time, that passage says we've got to depend on the Word of God. Can you read verse 4 of Matthew? Are you there? I can probably turn it. Matthew 4, verse 4, are you there? I'm there. Okay. But he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That time when he quoted, he's actually, the quote is Mm -hmm. actually saying every word that proceeds. And then in verse 7, when he says, It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God, the devil had just quoted the Bible. But he says, Nope, there's a commandment, and that commandment trumps whatever it is you just quoted, Mm -hmm. devil. You misquoted. If we have a direct command from God that requires our obedience, we better obey. And that trumps whatever else we're trying to, a clear command in the Bible. Uh, you better look at the passage that you're quoting and make sure you're not misquoting it right. if it keeps you from obeying a command. Um, verse 10, then he said it is written. Verse 14 of that chapter, um, I put down because it says in verse 14, um, th- he did some certain things that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah. It was he his life was a fulfillment of the word right. and our lives better be fulfillment of the word. And verse 23 it says there that um he went about all Galilee teaching and preaching the gospel. Um if we're dependent on the word, if the word is important to us, we better spend lots of time in evangelism. So the four things for us today is that we quote it in the face of temptation, and that's the number one escape route that we have, that his commands are paramount. Number three, that we are constantly fulfilling the word in our lives. We're living it out. And number four, that we are spending time evangelizing. 
Wow. Well, I guess we're out of time. I guess we need to stop. Um, I'll quickly just give passages for number 13 um, and just quickly say these things and maybe just let me know if you need me to put them on the blog, but you probably already have them. Uh, these passages that are people who escaped and found salvation did so in these ways. Acts 2.38, they repented and were baptized. Acts 9, verse 6, go in the city and you'll be told what to do, Saul. And in 9.18, he was told what? To be baptized. Yeah. In 10.48, um, this is Cornelius, be baptized. In 11.14, Peter's rehearsing that. And um, Peter will tell you words whereby you can be saved. In 11.18, to the Gentiles, God granted repentance to, to salvation. In 11.21, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. I really wanted to talk about the Antioch church. Maybe I'll just do that in a podcast. But in Acts 11, verse 26, now that we're in Acts 11, got the first Gentile church which is a direct fulfillment of Isaiah 62, verses 1 and 2. Uh, I think I'll just, I better put that in the blog, but it's very interesting. In Acts 16, verse 14, uh, I guess this is Lydia. She heard and was baptized. In 1631, what, what was the Philippian jailer told to do? He was told to be baptized. Well, in 31, he was told to believe. Right. And his house would, he and his house would be saved. But in 33, he went out at the risk of his life and was immediately baptized in the middle of the night. Acts 22, verse 10, go into Damascus and you will be told, this is Saul rehearsing his conversion again, what you must do. And in 22, 16, what does that one say? Uh, why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling mm -hmm. on his name. Yeah. So we've got words you got to hear these words to know what to do to be saved we've got belief we've got multiple instances of repentance and then lots of multiple in um, instances of baptism to wash away sins acts 22 16 so there is our obedience in the escape route um those recabites hmm. They, they obeyed their um, ancestor, and God was pleased with that and used them as an instruction to Israel, an object lesson to Israel. Look at these Rechabites. They are obeying their ancestor. And by the way, I looked up that ancestor, um, Jonadab, and he is the one who helped Jehu, the king of Israel, uh, get rid of the Baal worship that Ahab had brought in. So okay. he was a good guy. He was a good Midianite. Uh, these Rechabites were kin to the Midianites, so they were kin to Israel through Moses. Moses' in-laws. Moses married into that Midianite family, remember, when he went down to Jethro. Mm -hmm. So these folks were kin to Moses by marriage. And their ancestor, Jonadab, had been very instrumental in helping King Jehu get rid of Baal worship in Israel. He was a good man. And they then had been told by him not to touch wine, not to live in houses, to live in tents. And they mm -hmm. had followed that will all the way down. One of the commentators said probably be, he wanted them to do that to hold on to their nomadic and simple lifestyle that um, sort of reminds me today of 
uh, Amish or Mennonite or something. He wanted them to live simply, and they did. But God's point is, if they can obey an ancestor who was a good man who's telling them something to do, why can't you obey the creator of the universe right. who's commanding you and telling you how to be obedient? Well, that was a... Um, a quick overview, especially at the end there. But um, just let me know if there are some things that I can comment further on, and I'll try to do that through the, the little audio podcast or on the blog. And we'll finish up our study of obedience through the rest of this month. November 20th is our next podcast. And if you'll bow with me now, we'll conclude with prayer. Thank you, Leah. Oh, yes, Thank yes. you for doing it. You were great, and I talked way too much <laughs> because I saw what you had in your notes last night, and it was amazing and I should have let you talk more well that's fine I'm glad to let you talk so. next time <laughs> all right let's pray oh wait do we have comments I, I didn't um, want to overlook someone's comments I feel like I keep saying let's pray and God is just asking for the Alan the taught the link to Alan Webster's so look in the comments on the digging deep page and um Jennifer can probably one of us can post that link in a in a more prominent place on that page. Someone says, Selfishness is the root of all sins. When we decide that our way is better than God's, we are putting our ways over God's ways. Uh, then we had a comment about the things we give to children we get from God, the chastising and the example to follow and encouragement. And there were some verse references there. Oh, yeah. I think we understand God a whole lot better as parents. I think there are lots of lessons I learned raising my kids that I didn't know about the character of God before I had those children. And Ezra says, hi, Mammy. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, hi, Ezra. Okay. Let's... Somebody's asking what was Acts 11. That was, um, oh, that was. Um, Cornelius. That was yeah, Peter the... rehearsing Cornelius. Right. But I also said Retailing that Acts eleven twenty six is the first Gentile church. Yes. You know, Cornelius was the first Gentile convert, and then it just goes on telling about this first Gentile church. And if you'll put down Isaiah 62, verses 1 and 2, you'll find four clear prophecies there in Isaiah 62, 1 and 2, that are directly fulfilled in Acts eleven twenty six in that first Gentile church. A new name is one of them, that the light would shine to the Gentiles, that it would shine from Jerusalem, and that the Gentiles would see the salvation of the Lord. That happened in Acts 11, and then this new name would come. And that happened right after the Gentiles saw the light in Acts 11, and that new name was bestowed by God in Acts 11:26. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the instruction of grace. We're so thankful for your grace. We are so thankful for your mercy because without it, we are um, without hope. We have no hope of heaven. We have no hope of anything but separation and darkness and destruction. And we're so thankful for grace. Help us to realize that grace always teaches and help us to be diligent about its instruction Help us to dig deep into the instruction of grace that's in your word. And help us to realize then that as we understand its instruction, obedience is required for our salvation, for our great escape. We're so thankful for the promise that there is no temptation that takes us, but such as is common to man, and that you will, with every temptation, provide a way of escape. Help us to escape, Father. 
help us to realize that the devil is powerful, but not as powerful as you are, Father. And help us to constantly be aware of his ploys and help us to not be prideful. Help us to be submissive to you. To understand, Father, that it is total submission to every word that you have spoken that will finally bring us to spiritual strength. As the New Testament describes it, we will um, come to be a perfect man, a complete man, till we all come in the unity of the faith to the knowledge of the perfect Son of God. That's what we want to be, complete, as He was complete. To learn obedience by the things which we suffer. And we have not suffered to death as He has, Father, but we know that, that the Scriptures tell us that that is how He became complete, so that He could be the go-between between you and us, is that He learned obedience by the things that He suffered. Help us, Father to learn obedience if we don't learn anything else and help us to understand that even in our obedience that is how we obtain your grace and your mercy. If you find yourself in Huntsville, Alabama, we'd love for you to worship with us at West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest. Sunday morning worship begins at 9 a.m. followed by Bible classes for all ages. We meet again at 5 p.m. for evening worship and at 7 on Wednesday night. This is a Digging Deep in God's Word production, a Bible study for women. For more information, visit thecolleyhouse.org.